I'd uh, also let you know, as, as if you didn't know already, that um, these services go out live every week. And uh, we are live now. And so if you're listening on the live feed, hello. Nice to, nice to have you with us. I want to welcome everyone who's downloaded this as a podcast on iTunes. Um, the title of my message today is The Person uh, of the Holy Spirit. The Person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what I want to say first of all is that this message today should by no means be heard in isolation. It really is part of what we were talking about last week. And uh, so last week we talked about the, uh, the uh, Trinity, and so I encourage you to download that as well if you have not heard it already. We want to focus this morning on the person of the Holy Spirit as uh, one expression, one part of the, of the triune God or the Trinity of God. And so uh, this is our emphasis today, but it's not a, I, I don't want it to be an extreme thing. You understand? It's all part of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to share for probably half an hour we'll have some scriptures come up on the on the screen about the person of the Holy Spirit and a primary goal of this is to help us as Christians to understand or to be reminded that the Spirit of God is indeed a person and not a force or a power. When people speak about, oh, uh, we're going to a, a Holy Spirit conference, they probably mean we're going to go somewhere where we're going to feel something. That's probably what people mean. Or where supernatural things may occur. So I do understand that language. However, the danger of that the danger of that is that we can think of the Holy Spirit as being simply uh, a force or a power. And he's powerful and forceful, but he's not power and he's not force. He is a person. In many ways as personable, if you like, as you, as we will see today. And some of the descriptions of the Holy Spirit in the Bible can lead us to think of him in, in these non-personable terms. He's a river. Well, he's not a river, but he's like a river. He's like wine. Well, he isn't wine. He's like a wine. Even in the classic passage where he appears and alights and lands on Jesus, as I've often stressed when preaching this, it says he was like a dove. It doesn't say he was a dove. 
in the same way that Jesus was definitely not a lion, but like a lion. Right? And so we, I, we, I just want to get this clear today. Why don't you turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. And the context of the verses we're going to read, beginning at verse 15, is Jesus making a, a promise that while he was going away, someone else was going to come in his place to be just like him and indeed greater than him for them. John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor. Right at the end I'll zoom in just on that phrase there. He'll give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. You notice the word forever there? How many of you listen to preachers tell you the Holy Spirit comes and goes according to your holy standards? But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says He comes forever. He doesn't have a return ticket once He's come to you. Interesting, isn't it? He is the Spirit, verse 17, of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then verse 25 All this I have spoken while still with you but the counsellor the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And now just go over to chapter 15, verse 26, just one verse there. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And now just go into chapter 16 and verse 7. I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 12, I've much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Verse 14, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine 
and making it known to you. What's really interesting in these verses is something that we can't see in English but is very much strong in the original Greek language and the NIV tries to represent it. I'll tell you what it is. In, like with many languages, you have masculine and feminine and neuter or neutral uh, nouns. So I remember my French classes at school, you know, you had uh, a dog was masculine or, or a cat was feminine. I can't remember, but you know, uh, in certain languages you have that. Maybe in your mother tongue you, 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 you have that. Similarly, the word spirit, uh, which is pneuma in Greek, is, is a neuter um, uh, uh, noun. But as John is writing this passage, John deliberately breaks the grammar rules and changes the, the nouns, the uh, pronoun particularly, uh, from neuter to masculine. So even though it was against the, the grammar, if he was doing an exam, this chapter would be marked wrong. Even though it was against the grammar, he breaks the language tradition to refer to the spirit. Instead of what the Greek word would be, echino, he changes it to echinos, which is a masculine term. In other words, he's so determined that we shouldn't think the spirit is a neuter force, but a personable, uh, a personable person, a personality, he actually breaks the grammar. And throughout, the, uh, throughout this passage, the NIV tries to reflect this by keep, by keep referring to he and him. He will speak. Uh, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And it tries to reflect this. I want to take you, there's, there's two things I want to do. First of all, I want to take you through the Bible and show you some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit that cannot possibly be the attributes of a force or a power, but only of a person. And then at the end of what I'm going to share, I am going to open up the front area of this church and any person in this room who wants to come and meet him is welcome to come. I believe that he wants you to know him and he will show himself to you if you will come. And so this is in two parts. There may well be an experiential part of this. But I want to talk about his personality, talk about how he, the Spirit of God relates to you and to the world. But then we'll invite him to do his own thing. And maybe it's high time you came and met him for yourself. Let's talk about some of the, some of the attributes of this wonderful Holy Spirit. The first is, the Holy Spirit in the Bible is, is clearly depicted as someone who has a mind and a will. 
a mind and a will. You have a mind, don't you? You change it sometimes. You have a will. You decide what you want to do. The Holy Spirit also has a mind and a will. In Acts 13 and verse 2, the Holy Spirit speaks into the uh, prayer meeting of uh, the, the, one of the first churches in Antioch. And it says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Spirit was calling the shots. He had a mind and he had a will and he had decided now was the time for these two men to leave their, their local church responsibility and become itinerant really, become apostles and evangelists. And he said, I want you to set them apart because I've got work for them and now is the time. This is what the Holy Spirit said into their gathering. He has a mind and a will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Excuse me. And again and again he uses this phrase, these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. In the King James Version, just as he wills. So the Spirit has a will. He decides things. Now, as we saw last time, He serves the mission of the Son and the, and the Father. But there's a sense in which he, he, has, he has a brain. He is deciding things. And here, He's deciding how His gifts should be made manifest in the church. Romans 8 and verse 27 is uh, along similar lines. It says, He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Holy Spirit is an incredible prayer warrior. If ever you feel no one's ever praying for you, you are at least wrong uh, by two because Jesus always intercedes for us and now we read, the Spirit is interceding for us. Intercede means to pray. He intercedes for us in accordance with the will of God. He always prays in accordance with the will of God. And that's good news. Because, can I just go off a tangent? Many times we pray according to our own will. Can, we, can you say amen? Yeah. We say, Lord, give me this job. I want this job. And then because you are, it's a habit of yours, you go off. And if only you could interpret it, the interpretation would be, cancel that prayer. Don't give him that job. be a nightmare. There's another job coming along in a few weeks' time. Give him that one instead. Amen. Now the Spirit intercedes. I'm not suggesting the Spirit's intercession is limited to our speaking in tongues. The Spirit has an intercession we know nothing about and we never hear it. But here we discover that He has a mind. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. He's not a river. He's not, a, he's not the force. 
He's, he's got a brain. He has a will. He also has a voice. So he has a mind and a will. Secondly, we discover from the Bible that the Holy Spirit is a teacher, a mentor, and a guide. In John 14 and verse 26, which we looked at a little bit earlier, it says, but when the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. The Holy Spirit is, is a teacher. He wants to teach you things. Sometimes he teaches you things through a teacher, and other times he teaches you things through your car failing its MOT. Sometimes he teaches you things through a blessed time, and other times he teaches you things on the road marked with suffering. But he's a teacher. He shows you things. He brings great revelation to the human mind. I tell you, without being born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Who is it that allows us to see the kingdom of God? It's the Spirit. And then John 16 and verse 13 says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. He'll tell you what is yet to come. He speaks a lot. We don't always hear what he says, but he speaks a lot. Let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So he's, he's a speaker. He talks. He teaches. He guides. Revelation 2.29 is the verse I just quoted, let him who has an ear let him, let, him, let him hear the third thing we can say about him is not only is he uh, intelligent vocal wants to be our guide and teach us speak into our lives help us we discovered something that we might think very human about him and that is that he has an incredible emotional capacity. An incredible emotional capacity. He has the same kinds of uh, emotions that people have. Let's look at Ephesians 4 and verse 30. The writer is here talking about how Christians need to button their mouths through saying wrong things about each other. And right in the midst of this passage about Christians talking bad things against each other, the Apostle writes this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Spirit of God can be upset now, when we talk about this, of course, we don't mean upset like a five-year-old child can be upset. Or sometimes like a 55-year-old child can be upset. That their toys are taken away. We mean that he can be really grieved 
over things that are really, really wrong. The difference between him and a child or an adult child is that he doesn't have a fit about it. He doesn't become vocal and angry and out of control. You ever met the kind of people who keep a real cap on their temper, keep a real cap on their emotional response? You know they're upset, but they're mature and they don't react to their grief with vocal noises. And the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is like that. Once again, just referring to what we opened with, if you believe the Holy Spirit comes and goes according to how holy you are, believe me, you don't have the Holy Spirit with you because you're holy. You have the Holy Spirit with you to help you to be holy. So you need Him. And the reason why He grieves is because He does not go. If He could go, He would need to grieve. He grieves because He stays with you with me but he has an emotional attribute to him a strong emotional attribute to him that's not to say that the father and the son do not have that same attribute of course they do it says in Genesis that God was grieved that he had made mankind and we see Jesus exhibiting emotional responses a lot do not grieve the Holy Spirit Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And just let me say again, in this passage, so often quoted, he's not talking about whether or not you uh, prophesied correctly or had the right response. to. He's talking about when Christians let garbage come out of their mouths. That's what grieves the Spirit of God. Romans 15 and verse 30, we have another example of this. He says, I urge you, brothers, Paul is writing... By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. To join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. The Holy Spirit is a lover. He's a lover. He has a heart as well as a mind. That beats and pulsates. And he is in love with you. And as we've reflected many, many times... It's all the more amazing that he should love me because he knows all about me. It's easy. Well, maybe not easy. But it's a whole lot easier to get you to like me because you don't know all about me. But he knows all about me and yet he still loves me. He loves you. wants to know you more. wants you to know him enter into a beautiful relationship by the love of the Spirit. The grief of the Spirit, the love of the Spirit. One more in Romans 8 and verse 26. We read in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Here we are back in the realm of his intercession. But here you have a sense of a burdensome intercession. He is praying with groans. It's nothing 
to do with speaking in tongues. The, the, the Bible says that we groan, waiting for the coming of Jesus. The earth, the creation groans, waiting for the sons of God to be made manifest, which is most likely a reference to the coming of Jesus. And he himself, the Spirit, groans. He groans. And he's groaning with passion, with love, with, with grief. Here's one that's interesting. In Acts 5 and verse 3, we discover that he can be lied to. passage we touched on just briefly last time about Ananias and Sapphira, who, who told her long before standing order forms were invented, they told a lie about their offering and Peter confronts Ananias and then later his wife and says, how is it Satan filled your heart that you, you've lied to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to men, he says later on, but to God. So this wonderful Holy Spirit, he's, he's, not, a, he's not a river. He's not tongues. He's not strange behavior. He's not empowerment. All these things maybe he causes from time to time. But in fact, he's a person. In fact, let me tell you this. He's actually more real than you. Sometimes when you are in a meeting, can you not sense, and I know it's anecdotal and experiential, we need to be careful about these things, we want to be people of the word, but some in a, in a gathering can sense uh, an atmosphere, a, a sense of the Spirit's great presence. How can we sense His presence when He cannot be heard or seen? You see, while I'm talking to you today, especially if you're in the front section of this building, what might have happened is that someone could have walked in at the back. They could have walked in very quietly, subtly, and came and sat down on one of the back row chairs. But the people at the front wouldn't know it because they didn't see it. But if he comes through the door, we don't see him. And I'm using human language, comes through the door, you understand. But when he makes himself known in a place, we feel it sometimes. That makes him more real than you. Because if someone walked through the door and we didn't see, the only way we would know they had come in is if they were loud smelly but he has none of those things and yet we feel him do you see he's more real than you he's more than you the 
Holy Spirit is, let's just go back to John 14 and verse 16. The Holy Spirit is described as another helper. John 14 and verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Sunday morning is not Bible college time. But let me just take it on trust that if you really unpacked these words, Alon Parakleton, the unpacking of that little phrase means I'm going to send you one who is exactly the same kind as me. Not one of a different kind. In Greek you have different words meaning other and another. Here the word is another of exactly the same kind. I'm going to send you another one just the same as me. From the same mold. I'm using my language now to express it. People want to know, what is the Holy Spirit like? I tell you what he's like. He's just like Jesus. And Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the who? The Father. So it's not one plus one plus one equals three. It's one times one times one equals one. They are the same. And yet they are three. But he's just the same as Jesus. If you want to know what he's like, he's like Jesus. The Father sent the Son. The Son said, I will go into the world, but he must come with me. I need him with me. The Holy Spirit said, I'll come with you. How long am I going to come? You'll come for maybe three years. Okay, I'll meet you in the Jordan. And Messiah came into the Jordan, baptized by John the Baptist. And then, like a dove, the Spirit came upon him and abided on him. Remained on him. Didn't come and go like in the Old Testament days. But abided on him. And for three years or so, approximately, around that time, he was upon the Messiah, Jesus. Everywhere he went, as Jesus stretched out his hand, the Spirit, who is the power of the Trinity, put his hand on Messiah's hand and great things occurred. And then Jesus was crucified and resurrected and then said to his followers, now I'm going away now, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you someone who is just like me, boys. Just like me. And Jesus ascended and then something like six weeks later, something like that. The Lord Jesus in heaven turned to the Holy Spirit and said, it's time for you to go. But, and now forgive my, my preacher's imagination, this is not theology, but, but hopefully captures the point. He says to him, before, Holy Spirit, you took a suitcase 
with three years worth of time in it. But now you need a bigger suitcase because you're going to go to the earth for 2,000 years now. On the day of Pentecost, he came. The greatest thing that happened on the... Listen, listen, listen to this. The greatest thing that happened on the day of Pentecost could not be seen. It could not be seen. If video cameras had been where the disciples were praying and captured and YouTubed the fire that fell from heaven, they would not have captured the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The tongues of fire were not the Holy Spirit. They were the effect of Him walking in through the room, but they weren't Him. Because He is the invisible Spirit of God. And He filled them all. He filled them all. Today he's still filling his people. He's still filling his people. It's amazing, truly amazing, what he does. It's amazing. Alan, come and help me a minute. Not on the keyboard, but come and help me with something. The look on Alan's face will show that he's fully prepared for this. Alan, I'm going to have a bit of fun, and hopefully you will too. I want you to play the part of the Holy Spirit in what we're going to do. I'll give you all the instructions you need, and if you're listening at home, tell the other person in the room to act it out while you watch. I want to ask, when is it the first time that we meet the Holy Spirit in our life? When? When do we meet Him? Now, of course... The Spirit of God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So in a sense, as we come into this world, we are in His presence to some extent. But I want you to imagine that you're sitting in this, uh, sitting in this room and you are hearing the Gospel for the very first time. Now just kind of follow me, Alan. Here I am. I'm the, I'm the evangelist. Let's say. So here I am, preaching away. And the Spirit is, is with me. Link onto my arm. Or the Spirit is with me. He's with me because I asked Him to be. He's not with me because I'm holy and got everything right. He's with me because I'm fulfilling the role that Christ has. Whenever we obey God, God shows up. So He's with me. I asked Him to be with me. He's inspiring me as I'm preaching. I'll give you stage directions, mate. (laughs) And sitting in the meeting, sitting in the meeting, is a young lady called Emma who needs to be converted. And so because he can be in more than one place at a time, The Holy Spirit, He could be in every place at every time. Is that right? Pastors, they can just be in eight places at once. But the Holy Spirit, He can be all over that. So why don't you just go and sit sit next to Emma? And while the evangelist is speaking, He's with me, but He's also with her. Can you say Amen? Can you say Amen? He's also with her. 
So just whisper something in her, in her ear, if you will. It wasn't supposed to be funny, Emma. <laughs> Can I just make up? The Holy Spirit does not tell the congregation gags. But he's talking to her. While I'm preaching, he's talking to her. And sometimes, listen, he's actually saying things to her that I'm not even saying. Amen? You talk to some preachers and they say, how did you know all about my life? I thought, well, I, I just preached about the Good Samaritan, actually. <laughs> how did you know I was from Warwickshire? I, I didn't mention Warwickshire at all. If you're from Samaria, maybe we've got something going here. But sometimes God can say something to you that the preacher's not saying at all. You think maybe the preacher said it, but he didn't say it. He said it, the Holy Ghost. He said it. And so now comes the, the end, you know. And the evangelist is saying, okay, now let's all bow our heads and eyes closed. And, and now I want you to, anyone want to receive Jesus? And all the time, he's speaking to her. Amen? He's speaking to her. And her heart is beating away. I need to become a Christian. I need to become a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. The evangelist says, put your hand up. And she says, I'm not going to put my hand up. I am not. I am not. I am not. Ah! did that happen? And she becomes born again. Because, according to the Gospel of John, spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Everyone has a mummy at some point. But those who are born again, they are dealt with by the Holy Spirit. He opens up them and breathes into their spirit. Brings them alive. Okay. Now let's imagine that we go on a little bit longer. Jane, why don't you be the part of the person now? Alan, can you come back? You're, you're still the Holy Spirit. And Jane, why don't you come up here and um, bring your Bible as well, if you will. And uh, Jane is now, a, she's a fresh convert and so she's received the Holy Spirit. And now you just come and just stand next to her. And Jane, what I want you to do, you can, you can close your Bible for now. But I want you just to go and just have a little bit of a walk around here. And everywhere she goes, you go. Okay, so now you're not trying to shake him off, love, all right? <laughs> so she goes for a walk. And everywhere the believer goes, the Holy Spirit goes. Amen. Jesus said, I'll send you someone. He's going to be with you. Forever. Forever. Everywhere she goes. Even if she goes to places that he doesn't like. He doesn't go away. He doesn't like it, but he doesn't go away. Everywhere she goes, he goes. Everywhere. Everywhere. And now... She decides she's going to try and understand her Bible. So, Jane, open up your Bible and see if you can read it. But it's, the Bible is quite complicated at times. And it's difficult to understand certain things. 
And everyone else is, oh, I love my Bible, and you're stuck in lamentations. Well, what's going on here? I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. But guess what? There's a teacher. There's a teacher. And so why don't you show something in the Bible, Alan? You did well in the exam anyway. And suddenly, reading the Bible, a text comes flying out, right? Comes flying out. Or suddenly you've been trying to grasp the Trinity or some such thing for ten years and now you understand it. And you don't understand it necessarily because the teacher taught it well. You understand it not by might nor by power, but what? By my Spirit, says the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit comes and shows things in the Word of God. And by the way, can I say this? You can have church every day of your life if you'll only do this. It's not just supposed to be for two hours. Can you say amen? It's supposed to be for two hours. But the Spirit each day wants to show you things. And He will if you ask Him. You should never read the Bible by yourself. Always read it with Him. Ask Him. He said He will illuminate. He said He will guide you into truth. Well, ask Him to do it. Well, Jane, you can put your Bible down and now Jane wants to pray. But she doesn't know how to pray. So she's fumbling about. She doesn't know how to pray. But just, uh, Alan, just um, put your arm around my wife. I don't mind. And here, he then helps her. He helps her to pray. Lots of people say, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, ask the master intercessor how to pray. He'll show you how to pray. He'll even tell you what to pray. If you ask him. If you ask him. And so he speaks to her. And she starts to get excited. No. (laughs) Excited in a Baptist kind of way. (laughs) Okay, all right, well. I didn't mean a ooh, but I meant a... Just um, lift your hands and, and she starts to worship the Lord, you see. Because he's helping her, he's inspiring her. How should we worship the Father? In what? In spirit and in truth. Well, we can worship in truth by our understanding, but we can only worship in spirit with the help of the Spirit. It's not complicated, is it? And so he, he helps her to, to do this. One day, he's so all over her. You, you, you just focus on the Lord. Love. He's so all over her. Alan, why don't you just put your hand on her back again. And suddenly... And you can, you can do this if you like, love. Suddenly, she's worshipping God in her bedroom, just like I was, by the way, in 1989. And instead of saying, oh God, I bless you, I love you, I adore you, suddenly she starts to say, You next, love. Can you say amen? Suddenly, she gets filled with him. And starts to be blessed by him. And his presence fills her up. She begins to speak to God in a language she's never learned. Hallelujah. And now she wants to go on mission. Yes, she does. 
She wants to go on mission because she's got a friend at work called Mavella. And Mavella needs to be saved. So Jane, I want you without him, just go over and talk to Mavella. See if you can get her saved. And she talks to Mavella. Mavella's hard, atheist girl. And she doesn't want to know anything. She thinks it's the church is after your money, or it's strange, or she watched Dr. Phil and he doesn't like the church, and Oprah Winfrey doesn't like the church, and she's read something in the paper. So Jane comes back home, all upset. Mavella didn't get saved today. She said, I think the, I think maybe we're overdoing the acting, but anyway, we get, she gets saved today. But then she thinks, you know what, what I really need is I really need God to come with me. I really need the, the Spirit of God to, to be upon me and to help me. So she says, Lord, Lord Holy Spirit. Lord Holy Spirit. Please come with me. Please come with me. Convict Mavella. Convict Mavella. Touch her life. Touch her life. And now both of you go. And now they're both on the case. Can you say amen? They're both on the case now. Yeah, I, normally the Holy Spirit wouldn't normally say, please, can you move your bag? <laughs> and so while Jane is talking to Mavella, now the Holy Spirit is also talking to her. And his voice is louder than Jane's. His voice is the only voice that really matters. And now, Mavella becomes a Christian. Stay there, Jane. And now Mavella's going to get up. And Alan, you're going to stay with Mavella now. So now Mavella's going for a walk. And now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has got someone else to be with. And now he's always going to be with her. Forever. Wherever she goes. Whatever she does. He's always going to be with her. One day, Mavella meets Sue in the supermarket. And she's not seen Sue for a long time. And Mavella goes to a church where they believe in healing. And Sue says, you know what, I've got a problem in my tooth. I've got a real problem in my tooth. Which, which side is it? Yeah, that's, she says, I've got a real problem in my tooth. And Mavella says, well, can I pray for you? And Sue says, well, it's Tesco, you know. I don't know about that. But because she feels a bit without choice, she says, sure you can pray for me. And Mavella puts her hand on that side of her cheek. But the Holy Spirit puts his hand there. And because he puts his hand there, not your hand, not your dirty, unclean hand. No, no, his hand, his hand, his hand, his hand. Just one touch from the king changes everything. And extraordinarily, a miracle occurs. Lord, just heal Sue right now of this problem. In the name of Jesus Christ. One more final thing. Now, Mavella, come back in here in the Holy Spirit. Staying. It's close. Of course, there is one more thing we need to mention. That is, there's another dimension to the Spirit. And this is where I need Jaron and Edward. Come on, boys. I don't you think I'm typecasting you boys, but you're playing the demons. <laughs> the Bible says that we can be tempted, can we not, by the enemy. 
So just come over to Mavella and see if you can put some stuff in her mind. Maybe put some stuff that she shouldn't be hearing or tell her some negative things about her or even tell her some positive things that she shouldn't be thinking about. Or talk to her about how the, it's, there's no point going to church anymore or uh, Jesus will fail you. Mavella starts to feel down and depressed and downcast. And they continue to speak. Uh, you're not very demonish, boys. <laughs> I said demons, not deacons. Demons. <laughs> Some churches are deacon-possessed. Do you know that? And so they're talking to her. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Can you say it with me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the Holy Spirit with just one stroke of his hand. Hurls them through a window. which possibly isn't insured. (laughs) You're struggling with sin, are you? Call upon His help. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the overcomer. We hear so much about being, we're going to overcome. Well, actually, yes, we are, but we're only going to overcome because the overcomer is living inside us. That's how we're going to overcome, because He's with us. He is the strength of our lives, not us. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You can be seated, the four of you. And everyone will give you a big round of applause. Let's just do one more. Jane, come back. We'll just do one more. Thank you, Alan. This time, just one more illustration. I'm going to play the Holy Spirit. Jane has just become a Christian. And so everywhere you go, I'm going to go. And remember, I don't move quick, love. (laughs) So here she is. She's in the first days of her Christianity. These are just her first days. Everywhere she goes, he goes. Jesus, I'm going to send you someone just like me. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. And he's going to be with you. Going to be in you. Going to be with you. Going to be in you. Going to be with you. And everywhere, everywhere she goes, he goes. Everywhere you go, he goes. Doesn't matter. Wherever you go, he goes. That's why it's awful to be a backslider. You never get away from him. Never do you get away from him. Never. Never get away from him. Now stop. Now I want to show you something. Now you're going to follow me. Now, and maybe for some of you this is the the best bit. Now she's learnt maturity. Now she's learnt maturity. Now she's not a young Christian anymore. And by the way, you could be a Christian 20 years and still be a young Christian. 
And you can be a Christian a year, be very mature. But she's become mature. And now, it's still true that everywhere she goes, he goes. That's still totally true. But now she's learned something else. Follow me. Now she's learned to go where he goes. And now he is telling her, this is what we're going to do today. This is where we're going today. This is the career you're going to have. This is the job you're going to get. This is the gorgeous man you're going to marry. It's a bit late coming, but it came. This is what I've got planned for you on Monday. This is what we are going to do together. No longer am I just going to follow you and you're going to be in charge. But now, this is what we call the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is maybe an experience. There may be a feeling with it. But the real way to know that you have the anointing of the Spirit is that you are doing what the Father is telling you to do. Jesus said, I don't do anything by myself. I do what I see him doing. I don't speak of my own. I only speak of what he is saying. Really? (laughs) Must be the fasting. (laughs) We need to be mature. You can take a seat, love. In the desert, the children of Israel followed the cloud. The cloud did not just follow them. Can you say amen? And lots of people go on madcap schemes in God's name and God is not going ahead of them. He's still with them. But He is not going ahead of them. If you want to walk in the will of God, my friend, you be sure to go where God is going ahead of you. And then you simply walk in the footsteps that God has already put in front of you. You go off and do your own thing. God still come with you. He'll still be with you. And that's wonderful. But, it's, but don't say, this is the will of God. The will of God is He goes first. The will of God is He goes first and opens the door. That's the will of God. That we obey only Him. Lord, I just want to do Your will. Finally, the Holy Spirit wants to be our friend. We heard that he has a mind and a will. We heard that he is a teacher. We heard that he has emotions. We heard he can be lied to. Finally, in uh, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, we read something that you've probably heard many, many times before. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. What do you think fellowship means? What do you think it means? Fellowship. If I said we're now going to have a time of fellowship, really, it's just an old-fashioned word to mean friendship. I hope that's what we think it means. It means friendship. 
So now I want to read it again and insert the new word. May the grace of Jesus be with you. May you know the love of God the Father. And may you know the friendship of the Holy Spirit.